0: Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode
1: 67 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Bievenu. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So here we are, back in the back again on Saint Claude. Joseph, you've just gone on a long trip, long trip, long trip, four thousand mile trip across Canada,
0: uh, America and Canada, America and but Canada, out, out out west, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado. Uh, yeah, uh, that sounds majestic. Big, yeah, it was big sky,
1: big sky country.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It was cool to see the diff- the Rockies and the different parts of the. U.S. and then see it change in Canada. It was like all these different landscapes. It was awesome. Oh,
1: yeah. I can just imagine going across sort of like the plains and then into the Rockies and then into the
0: weirdness that goes way up there, right? Well, yeah, and like how it's like really deserty in the southern parts. Yeah. And then it gets more vegetated and it's cool.
1: What was the furthest point y'all went? North? Yeah. Well, we eventually kind of left the Rockies
0: because we went all the way up to Cold Lake in Alberta. Wow. Okay. And it's so far north of that point, and it's summer, so it doesn't really start getting dark till about eleven o'clock
1: at night. night. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can imagine how uh, how dark that is. I remember my friend telling me about living up in Alaska, just like he's like, yeah, it might get dark for like a little bit, like ninety minutes.
0: Yeah, week. if you go even for- further north, it's even more so. But yeah, cold lakes, pretty far,
1: pretty far up there. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a it's quite a trip, uh, to go up there and see all that land. I mean, it's just like so cool, all the all all the various pieces. And you were here plugging away in the New Orleans heat. Uh, plugging away in the New Orleans heat, and you know, just like getting the shop in order. It's like it's like shop time. It's like time to get this. I figured I'd take the summer. I figured I'd take the summer to uh, focus a little bit. Like the summer seems to be kind of a rebuilding time for me. I think a lot of people leave new orleans i feel this year like when you leave if you left new orleans for the whole summer this summer you come back in the fall of 2018 you're not even going to recognize the city (laughs) i feel like it's like becoming a whole new place very quickly very rapidly
0: well that's been happening for a while i think but i guess we're we're at a tipping point
1: we are we are so yeah so we're here today and we're going to talk about a new a topic that we think is you know something that Again, I think we all, as writers, I think we all we all deal with, we all process in different ways, and different people have different philosophies on it, um, but the concept and idea behind editing, poetry, and... Revision. And revision.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we want to use the term
1: revision. Yeah, revision, not editing.
0: Editing would be more the final, but sometimes maybe that could be considered the final step of revision, I suppose. Yeah. But there's usually a distinction made. So... When you think about revision with poetry, though, I don't know that everyone agrees that you should revise, necessarily.
1: No, I think that there's a lot of different ways to look at this, you know, and I think that there's there's macro and micro ways to look at this, and one I, and, and how, how I've thought about it is ways of considering tomes over the course of their his, their life. Like, for example, you know, if you looked at the first published edition of Leaves of Grass, Versus the last published edition of Leaves of Grass, the Deathbed Edition, it's different.
0: Well, Whitman is, yeah, Whitman, you know, like obsessively revised Leaves of Grass through his entire life.
1: Uh, And another one that I can think of that's like this a lot, and I want to talk, I want to get to later on, because I want to talk about like how, like, the mind of the poet themselves as they age through their life as a Mm -hmm. poet. And when they're coming back to this poems that they're writing earlier in life and revising, it might not be for the best. And I want to bring up the prelude by Wordsworth because that is like a... a, a there's been like decades upon decades of centuries of scholarly discussion about whether or not the original, the first draft of the Prelude was better than the final draft of the Prelude. Okay, I'm not a I'm not
0: a Wordsworth
1: fan. It's okay. So you're gonna have to, uh, but I'll come in, in that and talk a little bit about that because I actually wrote a a paper on that. Nice at Oxford about 15 years ago. Nice, nice. So I, I remember some of the things about that, but we can come back to it later on.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I don't. I think most of the people we know who are poets, maybe not all, but most of them agree that. You should revise your poem. That that's, that that's an important step. I know uh, Mark Statman talked about that when he was on with us a little bit. I know he believes in revision, but there's, I think, a certain element of poetry out
1: there that doesn't really believe
0: in revision for poetry.
1: Like that, it's just the moment, the the whole concept and idea of like taking field composition to the like furthest. Purity of like oh I wrote that in this moment and that's the moment in which the poem is the poem and you know that's the piece and and like it's the 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 author gets wrapped up in the egoic sort of minutia of the experience of the poem but it but it comes through in a way that maybe is too much tied to the moment and that maybe there could be profitable profitable ways to take the shaping of the 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 sort of the founding of the piece or like the like just the, the writing of the inspiration of the piece is just one part of it. It's just the beginning part of it. and like if you stay fixed in that, like maybe there could be a moment where there's like the perfect poem is written out of the perfect thing in, this, in that time and you leave it that way. But like, how many are ready mades like that? you know and, and like that takes years and skill of practice and concept. understanding to really be able to work towards something like that but that's not even that's not even something like one needs to work toward like oh i'm writing the perfect poems all the time well i don't know
0: what that would even mean really but uh to me that sounds kind of like a boring sort of poem if you're doing that i do think maybe like what you're saying is if you are writing the same kind of poem for a while it requires less revision Yes. Right. Like if you're doing a series of things and you kind of get into, you've kind of figured out, you've done enough where you've revised similar kinds of poems, you end up having to do less revisions if you're writing in that same sort of series later on because you've kind of get into it. But hopefully, at some point, you're moving into writing something else and then you have to start over and get back through that process of of figuring it out, right? Of figuring out what you're doing. Yep. But yeah, I think I think it's I think the people who are against revising poetry, it's tied up in this idea that poetry is supposed to be spontaneous, or that poetry is supposed to be some expression of your emotions, and that if you revise that, you eliminate the spontaneity, or you eliminate the authenticity of the emotion, or something like that, which. I think is a mistake. I don't think that that's really true, but I think it's tied up in like a lot of movements and things too, like some of what we've talked about, right? I mean, I think people's misunderstanding of surrealism for instance, right? Like thinking, okay, if you're tapping into your subconscious, how could you revise that? But I think that's a misunderstanding of
1: Yeah, and I think that this is like, you know, this is where this is where like this idea of like Field of composition, and then ex, and then exor- writing as an exercise, or writing as an exponent, like a writing as exposition, or writing as an exercise. I think like you know we have to consider that there's different purposes and 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 sort of um, pur- purposes and uses for writing. So like you know there's like there's 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 sometimes like I'm sometimes just like doing tr- like stream of stream of consciousness writing and just getting it out, but sometimes I'm actually trying to write a poem. And then sometimes I'm actually on the computer trying to draft a poem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, these are all different experiences, I think, of writing in general. Although
0: I think all those other experiences could become poems, too, but they'd still probably require revision to turn
1: them into poems, right? Always. I sometimes start with the... pro. Like, it's almost like sometimes I tear into a poem starting with revision. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to write the poem first, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, where you craft a poem from scratch, like with revision at the forefront of like being able to be like, oh, if I'm actually trying to craft a poem, like right now, like build it, like structure, 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 revision has to always be there. It has to be, yeah. you have to be like, just like doing a graphic design piece in an environment, in a design environment, you, you have to be able to well, it's trial and error, no get matter. rid of something. Well, yeah, you, and there has to be trial and error. You yeah. have to be like,
0: adding things and taking them away and seeing what does that do? What does this do? Yeah. Hopefully, because if you're doing something at all interesting, there is an exploration involved in it and you're hopefully don't know where you're going at the beginning. So you have to give yourself room to right. play
1: around with it. To yeah. Do, you, you know, to explore, you know, to, to get there. So I, so I think of, I think of poems that I've created or work that I've created, uh, that is very bricky. It's very like housey, bricky uh, city structure, like a lot of like a lot of like um, like scaffolding set up and bricks and walls and mortar and like I have this like phase of writing in my life where I just like I try to create a bunch of shit and I know that it's not stuff that's final stuff. It's just stuff that's there, kind of like that I created. That's like, I go back to it later and grab pieces And pull stuff out of it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, one of my favorite
0: things to do is just carry around a notebook and write little snippets of things as it comes to me. And then if I'm writing, I can just go back to that and pull things out of it. Because I don't know what I'm doing with any of that stuff. It's just something, an interesting thought at the time or whatever, an interesting image of the time. Totally.
1: And And this reminds me of something. There's a... And I don't, I don't think it's very common. I think it's very rare. There's a book, and I used to own a copy of it, but I again, I don't know where it went. Um, it's, it was a selected – no, it wasn't selected. Sorry. It was just like F. Scott Fitzgerald's notebooks, like just the extras. You know what I mean? Like yeah. where he would have like yeah. a draft of like maybe two a page – maybe it'd have drafted four pages and it would be like workups of characters that never made it into like his books or like into yeah. anything like it could have been like a short story or something but it was all the scraps from F- 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 and which that Scott show and was awesome yeah which that, that shows but that shows a lot of like that's an exemplar of um of this type of thing we're talking about like the idea that like some of that stuff was getting revised and worked into other but classic other pieces.
0: Different with fiction, right? Like people I don't think anyone argues with the fact that fiction should be revised. And, you know, when I'm trying to get things for my students about creative writing, it's really easy for me to find a lot of great materials about revising fiction. But when you pick up a book about writing poetry, a lot of times there's nothing about revision in there. And when it is, it's often this really canned sort of thing. I don't know. It's for some reason something about poetry. People don't see it. I've never heard someone say, oh, you shouldn't revise fiction. Yeah. But people say that about poetry all the time.
1: Well, Yeah, like it has this, you know, like you said earlier, this pack, pre-packaged cop sort of like directions that says, oh, it should be spontaneous. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's like, been a downfall of maybe a lot of poets is that they don't revise their work and they just come certainly, out and read, certainly, read yeah. unrevised, you know, or,
0: or or sometimes just inadequately revised. It's revised, but they held on to things they shouldn't have held on to. Yeah. Right. But I think there's some reasons for that. I think people look at older for forms of literature, and hopefully, you know, you're you're always kind of rebelling against that a little bit or, or trying to do something different, and that can be a tendency to try to want to be like, I don't want to be stuffy, I don't want to do that, so I'm going to try to avoid revision. But I don't think that's really the answer of not being stuffy or not being old-fashioned-sounding. Uh, and, well, what's the most... You know, at least in our day and age, what's the thing you're probably going to hear anyone say who's trying to argue against revision?
1: Uh, like, are you talking a poet would say something like, oh, well, you know, no one's going to tell me how I feel. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, is,
1: but is that, I mean, that's what
0: I would say. Well, certainly, yeah, I think they'd say that too. I was thinking what quote that people always want to say, though? A quote from somebody? Little Ginsburg quote. I don't know. I'm not sure that it actually is Ginsburg, but it's always attributed to him. What's the quote? First thought, best
1: thought. First thought, best thought.
0: Right. Um, which is attributed uh, to Ginsburg. Really? But uh, I don't know if that's even true. If it if it really is from him or not. But the whole but but there is regardless this whole beat leftover idea of that right of just writing things and which I don't think is really true of how any of them wrote.
1: Well, it, I I wasn't there like an, uh, man. This is making now we're going down the fiction path, but this is making me. I feel like I read I read something recently about on the road and like you know there's the, there was that like thing where it was like like uh, Kerouac's like continuous scrolls that he wrote like on the road on yeah like these scrolls that he had on typewriter and all that and he wrote the whole book like that I. I heard, like, okay, so that's true that he wrote, like, I don't think he wrote the whole book like that, maybe he did, I don't know, but, like, it was wildly revised. Yeah. Like,
0: people... It's not like he just took that and gave it to the publisher.
1: No, but people (laughs) have this feeling about On the Road, that it's this, like... Well, and I think all... It's because it's the story behind it.
0: And I think all the beat writers kind of have that aura around them, but the reality is you don't have to read very far... Or look very far into interviews with or writings by beat writers to see that that's not true that they all revise their work, yeah so i but th- thinking about that, I found this really cool recording of a lecture by Ginsburg his, his of his creative writing class where he was giving his
1: where was he at at this point? Columbia. He
0: was at Naropa. Naropa. Um, and he was give it was the whole class was about his thirteen rules for revising poetry, which I found in some other places that as fourteen rules. I think this typed out one I gave you has all fourteen. I forget which one was different. Oh, I think um, he maybe didn't have five in the in the other version.
1: Who was it? Somebody once told me a story. I don't know if it was t- Tom Orange or picking Allen Ginsberg up from the airport and taking him to Naropa to teach the writing workshop. So I wonder if, and like this funny story about Allen Ginsberg, like in the back seat, like I forget who it was with, but just like arguing the whole time, like talking about like, like some funny story. I can't remember. It's going to come to me. Anyways. Okay. So, so the, but yeah, but, but so this was this writing this workshop and and the
0: whole, the whole thing was about, was about these 13 rules for revision and the recording's hilarious it's pretty good. The recording's hilarious. I'm gonna put it up because he's also like very cantankerous. And uh people keep coming in late and he's like, Fuck you, why don't you show up on time? Now I'm gonna to have to start this all over again. And he's like, This is important, like you should, you know, you're gonna wish that you hadn't missed this. Is awesome. Yeah. But um but he's going through these things and well, I'll I'll talk a little bit about it, but do you wanna just maybe read the list? Read sure. the
1: list of the fourteen steps here? 14 steps, uh, Fourteen steps for Revising Poetry, Ginsberg. One, conception. Two, composition. Three, review it through several people's eyes. Four, review it with eye to idiomatic speech. Five, review it with eye to condensation of syntax, blue pencil and transpose. Six, Check out all articles and prepositions. Are they necessary and functional? 7. Review it for abstraction and substitute particular facts for reference. For example, walking down the avenue to walking down 2nd Avenue. Hmm. 8. Date the composition. 9. Take a phrase from it and make up a title that's unique or curious or interesting-sounding but realistic. 10. Put quotation marks around speeches or referential slang, so-to-speak, phrases. 11. Review it for weak spots you really don't like, but just left there for inertial reasons. 12. Check for active versus inactive ver- verbs. For example, after the subway ride instead of after we rode the subway. 13. Chop it up in lines according to breath Phrasing, ideas, or units of thought within one breath, if any. 14. Retype.
0: So, you know, maybe the mechanics of that might be a little different now, but maybe not. I think it's good, maybe, to keep it on paper, but it's a pretty good list. It is a pretty good list. But in the lecture, like, he spent a lot of time on number three, which I thought was cool, about review it through several people's eyes, and he talked about how like he had all these people that were in his head, like one of them was his dad, and one of them was like was Jack Kerouac, and one was, and how he would, after he wrote something, part of the revision process is like, how would my dad see this? Or how would my dad rea- react to this? Or what if I was telling this to my dad? Or, you know, how would Kerouac? And, and you say, you know, I think there was some part that was funny. He talked about some line he had that I'm going to totally get wrong about being butt fucked by a by a sailor and and screaming with joy or something and saying yeah well I wouldn't really <laughs> say that to my dad but if I said that to Kerouac he would laugh because it's funny and he would also know that it's true yeah right but this idea which I think is a good idea this thing of like having this group of people in your head that you know well that you can kind of Run things through different angles, and he talked about as maximizing your intelligence. Right, like you're not just getting it from your viewpoint. You're you're trying to approach the same thing through these different lenses. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. No, I mean I think that's that's important. I don't I don't know, and I don't see that all the time. I think that's a nice one. I like that one a lot. And he also said it could be someone you don't know. Like, and he I think he gave an example, which I didn't print out because it was too long of a heart crane poem where heart crane's talking to god essentially but it's like through that lens of you know I mean you're, you either need to be in a poem taking on a persona probably or having a dialogue with someone always and maybe doing both of those things at the same time and maybe having multiple dialogues or multiple personas going on at the same time
1: yeah totally I think that I think that it's good to be looking at things through a prism like that, you know, and being able to see all the different perspectives and ways that it can be viewed and heard and understood. Yeah, I don't know if enough people even do that with their poetry, you know No, I mean, I don't really like that on the list i don't, but even think, I, don't think, I don't think most people have even considered doing that with their poetry.
0: No, it's great. well, yeah. and you know, we can go through some of these other things, but the actual assignment he had his students doing at this point was interesting too was. He had them read a bunch of poems by Charles Reznikoff okay. that were autobiographical, anecdotal poems. Okay. And he had them write a list, which is another thing he was like berating them for, the ones who didn't write their list. He was like, come up with 20 moments of epiphany from your childhood, or from earlier in your life, right? And then take two of them and write a poem based on it, and then he was trying to get them to use that to go back to this revision list and turn that into a turn it into a good poem. Which I think is a great assignment. Yeah, it is a nice assignment. I did I did print a couple of Charles Resnikov poems. I guess we could read one so we can have some poetry in this episode. I didn't really know much about Charles Reznikov. Um I don't know if I had ever read him before, but he was a New York poet. He was born in 1894, and I guess he grew up in what he called a Jewish ghetto in Brooklyn. And then he just lived in, in New York, the variety of, of different parts of his life, and he wrote poetry. Uh, I don't, there's not a lot of biographical information about him, but a lot of his poems were these kind of semi-autobiographical things with, with that kind of anecdote idea, although there's also some historical ones too, but I guess what Ginsburg had him reading was these You want to read one? It's a
1: short one. Sure. Ghetto Funeral. Followed by his lodge, shabby men stumbling over the cobblestones and his children. Faces red and ugly with tears, eyes and eyelids red in the black coffin in the black hearse, the old man. No longer secretly grieving that his children are not strong enough to go the way he wanted to go and was not strong enough wow yeah like a little echo at the end there like a like a moment with an echo so i
0: don't know i mean i think it's pretty cool but then the other things on the list get into things that you just have to do right like you do need to go back through and look at things being as condensed as possible right and people talk about that with fiction all the time but i don't know that it always happens with poetry right uh you know how can you say things in the in the most condensed way possible, right? Can you go back and make that image more... Yeah. Can you say the same
1: image in
0: half the amount of words that you did the first time?
1: I've definitely thought about this type of thing in writing work. And sound, you know, can I make it sound better? Not just like, can I make it with more brevity? Yeah, but, sound too, yeah, of course, yeah. You know, but sound, I really think a lot about sound and the swiftness and the quickness and the quiet and the white space and making
0: it i mean i think when i about through through things language wise too with the condensed thing it's also about is it weird enough in some way right because
1: the profitable ambiguities
0: well yeah it could be about ambiguity but also just i don't want to have a phrase that's a stock phrase in my poem right if if it's or, or rarely there might be times where that's useful but most of the time even if it's something that's kind of a commonplace idea, I want it to be worded in a slightly different way, that it's not just something that you would hear a thousand times. It's not just a
1: That's how you get to that's how you get to alternate dimensions, B Anthony. <laughs> no, but that's I mean, yeah, in my opinion yeah. in my opinion, that's how you get to alternate dimensions because in your poetry, because when you start to bend it and refract it and shape it through a prism you know like a prism can be a two-sided prism but a prism can be also a 42-sided prism yeah. so so uh, like you know by you taking it and doing like essentially like cipher writing code writing yeah you know like a shift they uh, cipher writing is done where you like you know you drop the you drop the you do like a drop 4 so an a becomes a a, 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 yeah. a b c yeah. a d becomes a d right that's a drop 3 a becomes an e so what I'm saying is – and then you rewrite the language with a, with a code. So like by you shifting language, by you letting a word that maybe sounds like another word that isn't the word that you intended or wrote at the beginning, but for some reason the word that you're thinking of replacing it with sounds better and it gives it some other type of meaning where it can hover between two meanings – Yeah, that certainly.
0: And then also it just creates new... I mean, that's a fun thing to do, too, right? It's like, if you have a really stock phrase to just change one word to something else, and then it becomes a whole... Whole new thing. Yeah. But that should be a step, right? I mean, but... Yeah, certainly, I think you're right. That's like... And I think people do use that as a technique all the time. But also, just as far as editing, to just really, like, pour through something... Because sometimes you're using stock things without thinking of it, and then when you're going through and you're like, oh, this is, then that's an opportunity to do that right there rather than cutting it out sometimes. May, sometimes maybe you just cut it out, but if it's something where you're like, well, this is kind of an important transition point or something, well, I don't want to leave it like this trite thing so i'm going to change yeah. one word to something else or, i guess that you know? I'd
1: make, i mean like in a sense you know it's like uh, i guess this way we, like, we run the podcast here but this is you know episode 67 so we've talked enough about poetry the last you know 66 <laughs> episodes but i feel like a little bit of a poetry snob when i come to think about writing and doing po like doing poetry because sometimes i think like when i go and listen to poetry readings i just i just don't you can tell who's reading poetry and who's not. You can. And
0: you can also tell who's revising poetry and who's not. You can tell the people that it was like and whatever. You're at a reading, not everything has to be perfectly revised, but you can tell the people who were like, Well, I just wrote this and then I typed it up and I didn't do any of these steps in between. And maybe sometimes that's okay if you just wrote it earlier that day or something, but there's some people who are still reading that same poem for decades at the poetry reading, they never revise it, they never do anything with it, it's just...
1: Well, because it becomes like, a, it becomes an experience of reading the poem, you know, in this like, sort of like poetry ego type of way, where it's like, oh, well, I'm going to read this one again to you, you know. Well, and, it, and, and maybe it comes back to that spontaneity thing, right? I'm guilty of it. But no, but... But here's the thing though, I don't know if I'm guilty of that exact thing, because I think what you're saying is, you're saying, I mean, I'm i mean i've written i've composed a poem down to a, down to the fucking i okay that I read again and again because it's it, it's a was it, it was a, its a it was a really hard poem to write and I executed it with sound and, and and all sorts of other things and I read the poem sometimes because it seems like the right poem to read in the moment yeah, yeah. No, there's
0: nothing wrong with reading an older poem. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying...
1: A poem that's never been revised. You never
0: revised it. Like, maybe it's okay to read a poem you never revised. Yeah. If it's new and you're like, I just want to read it, whatever. But then you should know that, okay, I'm going back to this poem. And if you're going to read it again, it should be different the next time. You should be... Yeah, moving it forward. Yeah, yeah. Changing it up. Until, I mean, at some point, it's done, right? But yeah. you got to do something with it, and some people just never, never do that. So I was also looking at, you know, I know Auden's kind of a little boring in some ways, but talking about that spontaneity idea, right, I really, I liked, I like this quote from him. So he has this... Uh, essay called Oblongs and Squares, or is it Squares and Oblongs? I might have it backwards, which I think is from a Gertrude Stein quote, which I don't know what it is, but uh, it's a lot of it has to do with revision. <laughs> but he says, two theories of poetry. Poetry as a magical means for inducing desirable emotions and repelling undesirable emotions in oneself and others, or Poetry as a game of knowledge, a bringing to consciousness by naming them of emotions and their hidden relationships. The first view was held by the Greeks and is now held by MGM, Agitprop, and the collective public of the world. They are wrong. Whoa. (laughs) But, you know, I do think part of it is, right, like, you have to, it's gotta be about language at some point, right? Right. Or he, call, he says a game of knowledge, but that's part of it, right? Whether you're thinking of it as knowledge or thinking of it as language.
1: I'm just reading the, the yeah
0: quote. Yeah, and I guess he's also making the distinction, right, which I think is great is, are you just, you know, are you just picking the emotions that you think people will like or people have or driving off the bad emotions, or are you actually creating new emotions through the game that you're playing with language, right? Are you coming up with something that wasn't there before?
1: He's saying that the first one is wrong?
0: Yeah, the first one's wrong. A magical means for inducing desirable emotions and repelling undesirable emotions in oneself and others, he's saying, is wrong.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, because ultimately it's the... Because this goes back to Plato, because he's going back to the understanding that there's, like... It's the same thing about the... isn't it the same idea behind the two types of poets? Like, there's the ones that are like the the um, the knowledge that bring in consciousness to men and all that. Those are the dangerous ones. Those are the ones that Plato banishes from. Well, the yeah, public. maybe
0: that's the opposite of Plato. Then
1: no, no, he banishes them from the <laughs> yeah. Republic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is the second kind. Yeah, but the first kind are the ones that are just there for like the magical, desirable, like playful things, like the like that whole like way of. Bringing in emotion and wiping emotion away, like this, like more like a provincial kind of like entertain, like je- gesturery type. But of. I
0: don't even know if that's. I mean, it could be that, but it's also like. I mean, I think if if you say something, but like, it's
1: advertising. It, it it comes back to like the appeals, inducing like, desirable emotions. That can be
0: all kinds of things, right? It could be just giving your audience what they want. It could just be like saying, but it could just be saying like it, that. Could, that desirable emotion could be getting righteously angry about something but if that's all your poem yes it could be you know but
1: look i'm gonna relate this right here there's a thing that this guy came up with and it's called like the 15 appeals of advertising Uh uh-huh and what it's all about i taught to my 102 students when i when i taught delgado and what it's all about it's so brilliant what it's all about is like basically like all of advertising like the entire scope of anything that's used in advertising today it appeals to one of fifteen things, uh-huh. and it's about like appeal for aggression, or appeal for belonging, or appeal for safety, or appeal for like uh, being involved in, in a, a part of a group. Uh, yeah, you know, so it's all these different that makes appeals: sense. love, you know, the the appeal for nurture, the appeal for protection, all these like fifteen things, right? So if you really consider this, this is like that's what advertising is doing today. It's like two theories of advertising. You Advertising as a magical means for inducing desirable emotions or repelling undesirable emotions. Meaning this: I'm driving in a car, and the undesirable emotion is that my family could get into an accident. So advertising comes and does these like airbag tests. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what? So this is true, actually. So he. So what Auden's is saying is that the first one is kind of co-opting poetry for the superficial form, almost.
0: Yeah. Or well, but it's also you know, but it's funny, right? I mean, we're talking about revision here. And I think some people, when they teach students how to revise their writing, whether you're talking about poetry or whether you're talking about something else, are almost asking them to do that, which is the opposite of what I think revision ought to be. Revision is supposed to make something more complex, not, like, sharpen it to a specific point.
1: So that's the difference between editing and revision?
0: Yeah, revision is, you know... Like it says, it's like it's reseeing something, right? So you you should be seeing it through multiple ways, through multiple lenses, like the thing Ginsburg was saying of having those different people in your mind. How are you looking at this thing through multiple lenses? It's revision. You're reseeing it, right? You should be seeing it through these different ways. That's editing. If you're like sh- sharpening it down to something, right? Yeah. And maybe that could be the end part of revision. But especially with poetry, but with any writing, I think if you eliminate the complexity, you've skipped the
1: revision, right? He doesn't use, you know, Ginsburg doesn't say, like, delete, Well, he says... Edit. Or, well,
0: not really. I mean, he words it differently. He does say, check out if articles and prepositions are necessary and functional. Assumedly meaning getting rid of the ones that aren't, right? He says... review for abstraction and substitute particular facts for reference right that's a kind of maybe deleting something but no you're right he doesn't get too too bogged down in that although because yes you need to delete things But you need to be careful about what that is, right? I mean, I think he's aware, which sometimes people aren't when they give revision advice, that it kind of depends on the situation. That's the tricky thing about teaching revision, right? Is it's not the same for every kind of poem.
1: And poet and all that. You know, there's so many different, you know... You really... A lot of it's a very personal thing.
0: Like, you've got to figure out for you what's happening. Like, what are you doing? Are you... Are you doing this thing of actually seeing things in multiple complex ways? What is the way that you're using language? Because that's different for everyone and what that means. You still, as long as you're filtering that in some way and saying, I'm not just going to say, oh, this is what I'm doing and rationalize the decisions I'm making. But if you're, you know, it, it is, there's like a self-discovery to it of figuring out why you do what you do and how to do it better.
1: Yeah, and there's a uh, isn't there isn't there um was it doesn't Brendan Lorber do that with Lungful? So yeah, I mean In the
0: magazine I, I did want to talk about Lungful because it really is a nice a nice magazine and if you don't know it, I'll I'll put a link to that too. It's the main idea of the magazine is anyone who submits, you submit an, an earlier draft of your poem and a, and a completed draft of your poem yeah and they print them side by side and it's really cool because you get to see all kinds of different poets processes a lot of them are handwritten sometimes it's people who've typed and then annotated their typed thing uh and it's pretty nice you know i like it
1: um it's nice to see that jump the leap yeah it's nice to be like privy to that leap
0: well, and to see that it's not the same for everyone, too, is really cool, right? Some people won't have a lot of changes, and I don't always know. I mean, the one thing I almost wish was that there was a little more ex- explanation of. That's my ex- suggestion, Brendan, if, you, if you're listening. Maybe that'd be cool to try for an issue or something, is have a short little explanation by each poet of where that draft was, how, where, where in the process that was for them.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Because sometimes you see ones and there's not a lot of changes and you don't know well, it did they just do a lot of that in their head? That could be. Or is this just a later version and they had earlier stuff but they just didn't have one that they could give for whatever reason or, or yeah, you know, you,
1: you know. Yeah, the story's a little different for each person.
0: But it's still cool to see. And then sometimes people have big differences, sometimes people just have small differences. It's really neat idea and I and I like it a lot. Um it's 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 cool it's really cool and i think that's important for people to see especially i mean for anyone i think especially it's important for people who are starting out writing but even if you've been writing a long time i find it interesting to see and and it makes you think about like oh yeah yeah dummy you don't have to because we all forget that you're like oh you don't have to do things in this particular way there's all these different things out there that you can do because we forget that
1: right we do forget that
0: no, that's a cool magazine, and it's also like I like that that's out there, so people can see like that drafting process. I think it's the the I feel like there are some other people that have doing it, but have done that, but I can't remember always what who else has done it, but Lunkville has consistently done it for for a while and does a really good job of it and they and it's usually a cool looking magazine they always get nice um art for it too. And they do their little, what, notes from the field thing.
1: I was just looking up my note from the field that I wrote, for lungful, back in 2009. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm in an issue in 2009. And this was my note, this was my note from the field. It's a, it's, it, the title of the poem is, New Orleans Dispatch on the Lunar New Year. <laughs> what year was that in? Two, th- i said 2000... Oh, 2000 you said nine. i was just remembering lungful and i was remembering that i did a poem for them but it was like yeah 2009 yeah i have this one because i had
0: a couple poems in this issue i don't know what year this is it's issue 19 i don't know
1: and you know <laughs> my bio my bio and that's really funny ready J.S. Macos is currently en route to and from New Orleans via the city of New
0: Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I'm not
1: always a
0: heavy editor, heavy reviser of my poems in a written sense, because I think a lot of it for me goes on in my head. But what I do tend to do, like, I like writing in notebooks. I don't really like writing on the computer directly. Like, that's, like, a later stage for me always. Me too. So what I tend to do is once I've got a poem kind of how I like it, I rewrite it over and over again in the notebook and make changes with each rewrite. And sometimes they might not be big changes necessarily. It depends. But that act of rewriting makes me kind of stop and look at those things as I go. Definitely. Right? I was, just, I was just looking at the ones I had in Lungful and that's what they were some of them don't have huge differences but I think I always had like two written, handwritten things before the type things uh, because that's what I would do a lot is just keep rewriting the same poem especially like I'm thinking of Adam Parler I did that a lot I would just keep rewriting the, the poem till I kind of distilled it to what I wanted it to be
1: Yeah, that's an interesting distillation process Just keep rewriting, rewriting. I mean, Ginsburg says what number fourteen is what. Retype. Retype,
0: retype, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. It might not be the most efficient, but for
0: me, sometimes when I have too much stuff scratched out, I can't. It's hard for me to see it, see the changes, right? Like I almost need to rewrite the whole thing.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm think I'm thinking about you know I've been lately I've been really thinking a lot about my time as a as a teacher at community college at uh Cleveland's. Sorry at Tri C, College Community College, and then and then and then later at Delgado Community College in New Orleans, and the, all that time that I spent grading papers. I mean, f- yeah, hundreds of papers a semester. It's like not an exaggeration, like hundreds. And I'm just like thinking about my students and the process that I would put them through. You know, and I think that. Aside from sitting next to them and grading their paper in front of them because I would do that for especially my developmental students Uh because that's the moment where they get it, like the light bulbs turn on when 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 they actually see me fix it in front of them. Other than that, I'm thinking a lot about like especially 101 students and 102 students which is like you tell them like you should be handwriting your papers first or like maybe not but like you should be you should definitely be printing your paper out and then re and then and then using a red pen or a pen and go over it, and then you need to go back to your computer and type it again. And like, if you tell them like all these different steps that you try to tell them like, even just I mean even just in general like these. Well, yeah. Even if you've got a good list, these are just fourteen good if got steps a good for list writing. Of step. They are. Yeah. Per- Advising. Yeah. Period. But you also not even just poetry.
0: Yeah. Well, you I think that's mean? true. But but but. The, the rewriting part, the, what I like about it is I think a lot of times you're saying with like students, right, you can give them those steps, but they don't necessarily actually do them. you got to slow down, and that's part of why the handwriting thing is nice, I think, because it makes you slow down. does. And you really have to pay attention and live in the words for a minute and be like, is this?
1: Live in the words. You know, that's funny that you say that because, you know, my method is to teach them to slow down. What's that? Buy a nice pen. Oh yeah, yeah. And buy a nice notebook. Something yeah. you like to write in. You don't have to write in loose leaf in a binder. If you want to get a bigger sketchbook, something larger, nine by twelve, yeah. and you want to take notes in a way that makes you m- 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 remember it better on the page. No, that's a good idea. Because you know, it's like sometimes we're too stuck in this note-taking method. That's all like line for line for line for line for line for line for line. You know, Well, that's a whole other sidetrack. I don't want to get too
0: far into that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, uh you're right about that, for sure. But
1: but you know this. You know if you have a different sheet of paper, a different type of paper?
0: Oh, yeah. It totally
1: changes the way you write. Well, I if mean, you cha- if you I know your paper- you're like
0: this, too, but I have just so many empty notebooks around everywhere. Anytime I see one that I like, I just... Pick it oh, up yeah. because then you have all these things you can go to for different situations. You need to have small ones to carry around. You need to have a, a another think, nicer size one when you're sitting la- at your desk. I think the and, you last know, you
1: know. the last super dope uh, notebook I bought that I'm in love with was this big giant uh, twelve by eighteen um, like newsprint paper, but it has this gorgeous. Uh, Checkerboard, you know, a graph paper, orange. It's orange graph paper on gray uh, 12 by 18, so it's folded in half. So it's this big looking magazine looking thing, which and, is cool. And it's and so it's, cool. because yeah, it, it has graph paper.: but, soon yeah. I did. I got it. I took the stitches out, and I used it. I added graph paper to four other notebooks that I made. Oh. So now okay. So now I took this beautiful orange graph paper and dropped it in these other notebooks that I made. Well, graph paper is cool, too, because then
0: you can do, like, weird...
1: But I don't want the whole book to be graph paper, yeah. you know what I mean? But so you can put, like, a letter in each square and try super, to do weird things. It's fun, yeah. Acrostics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Things like that.
0: Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think we've pretty much said... We think revision is pretty important, and and you know, and it's an individual process, and you've got to think about it a little bit and, and figure out what to do. We're going to post some of these things we've been talking about. Um, I also found a really cool C.K. Williams essay from American Poetry Review, where she was talking about revision a little bit. So maybe the last thing we can do is read a little bit of this and talk about that a little bit, because I thought she had some nice things to say here too. Uh she's kind of starting out with this other idea about letting which 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 I think we've already touched on that there's no avoiding that being part of revision is letting is giving yourself the ability to go off in weird tangents mm-hmm. is actually so that's kind of where she starts but then then it's going to be more apparent where she's talking about revision here The right not to concentrate, by which I mean the right to allow one's mind to skip and skid away from any prescribed subject without worrying that some aesthetic or moral commandment is being violated. Going along with this are several correlative rights. Besides the right occasionally to split infinitives, the first would be the right to understand that the mind, no matter how far and for how long it strays from the theme or idea to which one wishes it would apply itself, will sooner or later return when it's ready and able to do so, and may well be the richer or wiser for the diversion and delay. Bertrand Russell says somewhere that early in his career as a mathematician and philosopher, he realized that if a problem he was interested in was going to take six months or a year to be solved, it would be solved in that length of time, whether he thought about it or not. This allowed him, he reports, to occupy himself with other questions which interested him. Though Russell's insight isn't quite what I'm talking about here, it's a favorite story of mine, so I thought I'd pass it on. Along with the right not to concentrate goes a corollary, the right to vacillate, to wobble, to shilly-shally, be indecisive in one's labors, and still not suffer from a sense of being irresponsible, indolent, or weak. Poems can take a long time to arrive and find their final form, so surely patience is the word here but it's worth emphasizing that what actually happens doesn't seem to have the maturity and dignity the term patience implies. There's much more flailing about and hesitating and clearing the throat and taking out the trash. We have to have the right to all of this. At the same time, though, there's also an obligation that comes with this circling towards patience, which is to know that at some point you have to make your move. Even if you don't feel completely ready, and you have to make it with energy and tenacity, and this might be hardest, spontaneity. It might be asked how spontaneity can be willed, but isn't that one of the very basic issues of art, of being an artist? Isn't it really what revision is all about? Trying a thing again and again until the solution finally arrives that surprises and embodies the quality of surprise in itself. Yep. I mean... That's kind of a lot of the same as we, same things we've been circling around here, but I thought she expressed it really well.
1: Yeah, there's a painterliness to it. There's an experimentation with it. There's yeah, a there's, there's an idea of using the language as sort of a medium and less as like sort of a fixed sort of uh, emblematic But will the spontaneity, right? It's it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but that's the idea,
0: right? You need to be doing both. You need to be allowing yourself to go off on a sidetrack, but you also need to be controlling it, and you need to be forcing yourself to be spontaneous, right? And that's kind of like what we were talking about, too, with, oh, if you see something that seems a little trite, you need to force it to be spontaneous, right? You need to say, oh, no, that's not what I'm trying to do here. But I like that, too, about that trusting that, you can't really ever be off the subject. And a lot of poets never get that and that's important, right? You're you're automatically no matter what it feels like, it's related. Right? It is related to what you're talking about. Uh in some way, your your subconscious mind probably sees those connections better than you ever can consciously, right? Definitely. So revision is maybe something totally different from what people think about it in some ways because all of these quotes we've looked at, Ginsburg and Auden and C.K. Williams here, all kind of get to that idea that it is really about making it complex, right? It's about allowing it to have a bunch of angles, a bunch of facets to it, allowing yourself to go off in different directions.
1: Rather than it being this, you know, again, like this, like, fixed emblem of a thing that you're trying to relive again and again. I don't know. I, there's, like, you know or what I mean? about being, like,
0: an overly polished stone or something, right? Like, this thing that it's... It doesn't have any facets to it anymore. It's just this smooth,
1: bland thing. yeah. It doesn't have character. Or it's almost like a perfectly shaped character. But, it, but it's funny, the right? Like, as
0: you were talking about, like, when you go to a poetry reading, the poems you don't like, the ones that feel revised, that feel like they're not revised, it's not like they feel sloppy. It feels like they were just too simple.
1: Sometimes, yeah.
0: I mean, most of the time, I think, you know?
1: Yeah
0: it It is about exactly what we're talking about. What makes you know it's not revised is that there's not enough there,
1: yeah too many colloquial phrases and too many like you said, like common but subject matter too subject it might matter. be too on it might be too on the
0: point to its subject matter right It might not let it let itself stray enough, yeah, right.
1: I don't know. Any final thoughts on our vision here that we didn't hit? No, I think we're gonna put up a list here, though, for people. This uh, from this. Uh, we're gonna po- put this Ginsburg list up. And this list too. You know? Well, I just printed
0: that out because that's something I give my students, which is I think is it from poetry or where is it from?
1: Stephen Dunn from the Pedestal Magazine or oh, from Poets oh, and Writers? Yeah, the top that Stephen Dunn
0: quotes on the top, which is okay, but it's oh, it's from Poets and Writers. And which is a little list they had of different ways you can approach revising a poem, which is, which is I think, a useful thing, right? If you're stuck and you're like, I know I need to revise this, but I don't know where to begin. This is good advice. You know, it's just some nice things. Like, try one of these. Lose if you're the stuck, person, you know, man.
1: try one. Try doing it a different way. Erasure, work backwards, you know, um, you know take a couple lines out. Um, or take one line and write a whole different poem coming yeah. off that line or... Get- Get rid of the first person,
0: and that's the kind of stuff they that even say. They, they even take. Trying, they even yeah. do
1: the cut the poem and they do the Brian Geisen da da thing and cut the poem in pieces. Yeah, that's there too. So, least the stuff. You know, I don't know. I think. I think. I think uh, revision. I think. Um, I think here. I think. You know, if you really are trying to revise your work and you really want to do it in an honest way that's like going to help you become a better poet or a better writer, you know. Try the thing, try it out where you can read, where you can look at it through a few different lenses, and show it to some people. You know, that's what I say is a good starting point. And then from there, maybe you know, take some advice and stuff. You know, but I think like, I think like, I think like that's it's important thing to just not just show it to like your friends that are going to be like, oh yeah, that's so great. You know, they're they're just going to respond to you and and tell you that it's great when it's not. But like, read it, show it to some people who like maybe. Can really like give you a really interesting, cool perspective. Well, it might be a bit extreme, but I
0: saw—I can't remember which poet said this—as I was trying to look some things with this. Someone said, "I never show a poem to anyone else until I've lived with it for six months," which might be too long. But (laughs) I do think you should probably live with the poem for a week or two most of the time before you show it to anybody, right? I
1: got poems I haven't shown that I've been sitting with for six years, you know. Yeah, well, it depends on the poem too, but
0: Yeah. yeah. But no, but I, I think that's good advice. And I think the important thing to remember is I mean, a lot of it is like you can't, if you want to be a good writer, you can't fall in love too much with what you've written, right? And the thing is, like, allow yourself to experiment. And the thing is, it's not what I always tell my students it's not permanent. You can try one of those things and still go back to your oh, <laughs> earlier yeah. draft. Oh,
1: really. Like, there's still no. got the other early draft.
0: All you do is gain something by trying one of these experiments and trying to go in a different direction with it. You can't, you can always go back to, if you really think what you had before is better, you can always go back to that, right? True. So give yourself the opportunity, give yourself the chance of exploding the poem into being something else,
1: right? Exploding the poem. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm all about that. And I'm, I, I, I'm going to use this as a challenge for myself. That's my final thought, is that I want to use this for a challenge for myself to explode some of my poems that have been sitting around and gathering dust for a little while.
0: Well, cool. Um, I don't think we've got anything coming up. Well, cool. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've got anything coming up to plug, do we?
1: I don't think... Uh,
0: well, you could plug a non-poetry related thing, I suppose. Yeah, if
1: you happen to hear this in your New Orleans, uh, come by next week to uh, the Pecune Social House on Tuesday the 17th of July uh, from 5 to 9 p.m., where we're going to be having a feature... Uh, exhibition opening called Times of the Cocktail: Stories of smugglers, bootleggers, and rum runners. It's a historic newspaper archive show uh, being curated by NOLA DNA, sponsored by Old New Orleans Rum, and backed by the Social Social and Tales of the Cocktail. Nice. And, oh, one little
0: footnote at the end here. we We got a new piece of equipment this week. So... Hopefully, when you listen to this episode, it sounds better than the past episodes if you're a regular listener. So if it does, let us know so we can we yeah. know we're doing it right here.
1: Write us a review. And we're looking for new episodes. So if you have an idea for an episode, reach out to us. We're yeah, just, please
0: we're do. All, All right. right, this has been another episode of No Good Poetry.
1: See you next week. And, you know, Wordsworth, it was just like, you know, with the prelude... The way that it ended up working for him is he just got like really conservative and old politically, like personally, you know, and he never, he like lost his vibrancy of like the lyrical ballads of the youth, you know, the youthness, like the radicalness of, you know, the sort of like that, that like in the period in which he was living, it was like this really super radical time. And they even got kicked out of, they got kicked out of Cambridge or something. I mean, they were like radicals, you know, him and him and Coleridge and Southey, they were all like. They were doing, like, cool shit. You know, they even wanted to find, like, this...
0: So who thinks the later ones, the later versions better?
1: Well, the way it is, is, like, basically, he just edited and edited and revised and revised and revised and revised, and he got rid of all the radical thinking in it so that by the time, like, the deathbed edition of the prelude, it is just, like, this, like, super conservative, staunchy fucking thing, you know? (laughs) Like, he essentially erased all the character of it over the course of his life. Instead of being a master of it, he just, like... He took out all the early thinking and he replaced it with sort of like aged, more conservative thinking. Hmm. So that's like it's like a. Case I've of
0: always thought of Wordsworth as being stodgy. Maybe I was just. man I need to just read the early part?
1: The early stuff, or the first version of the Prelude. But as he comes to the end of his life, and he's like trying to finish like all the different, you know, pieces of the Prelude, and it, he just like he just he just makes it sound old. Just <laughs> makes it sound old.